Welcome to The Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impact's content strategist. When I ask folks what they think the most common reason content projects fail is, typically they say the actual content creation step, the writing of the words, is is the culprit. And that's true. A, a lot of projects end up needing to dump their proverbial Starship Enterprise warp core due to some sort of failure in the writing department. Still, one of the most insidious and more common reasons content projects fail is, is often overlooked. And that's content workflows, meaning the who is responsible for what and when order of operations for a particular content project. So why are workflows such a big problem? Kind of depends. In some cases, marketers think their content project is so simple they don't need to define one, right? Somebody just needs to write it and then someone else will approve it. End of story. Other times, you might end up with a too many cooks in the kitchen scenario. So you end up with some sort of like overcrowded, clunky workflow, which is essentially a committee where your content will end up dying. So how do you tell if your content workflow is broken? And what are the most common mistakes people are making when creating one? Also, how do you then create a better, more killer workflow that gets your project done on time? And how do you get people to actually follow it? These are the kinds of questions that every content manager and marketer needs to be able to answer. So I've invited Rob Mills, content strategist from Gather Content, to talk with me today to help me do just that. Of course, don't forget to stick around after my chat with Rob for this week's One Thing and the Weekly Awesome. But without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Rob. really, really excited today. Um, I am going to admit I am kind of having a bit of a fangirl moment right now uh, because I have the one, the only, Rob Mills from Gather Content today. Round of applause. Woo! Joining me from across the pond. Hi, Liz. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, well, so obviously I know who you are and what you do, but for the listeners at home, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like long walks on the beach. What do you do at work? All that good stuff. Okie dokes. Well, uh, my name is Rob, which you've covered. Uh, I'm a content strategist at Gather Content. So I'm based in Cardiff in the UK. Uh, we're a remote team and that's where I'm based. Um, I do like long walks on the beach, actually. Now you oh, mention. nice. Uh, who doesn't? Uh, I've got two cats, five typewriters, um, and I love words. And I'm not very good with numbers, which is, so it's a good job I like words. Wait, okay. Um... Two follow-up questions. <laughs> sure. name, of, name of the cats. Uh, Bert and Dora. Ooh, nice. And <laughs> five typewriters? Yeah. Um, I don't really know how that started. And they're, uh, yeah, I've got one from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, two of the five actually work as well. Um, not that there's much of a need for sending letters these days, but um, yeah, they're pretty good. That's really cool. So uh, gather content. I obviously know what that is, which is why I brought you here today and I've been using the platform for years. But mm -hmm. what is Gather Content? What, what problem does it solve? So Gather Content is a content operations platform that sits between um, an organization's content strategy and their CMS. So all that stuff in between, which is you know getting the content done, the people involved, the process, uh, the workflow, uh, the roles, assembling the team, the, the 
getting the style guide to make sure your content's consistent. Uh, gather content helps teams with that part of the uh, of their content operations. So it's uh, it's an online platform where um, you can structure your content items um, so it maps nicely to the CMS. You can add your guidelines in um, on the content items. So when authors are creating content, they've got the instructions and rules at the point of creation so they're producing what's needed. Uh, and then because of the structure, it's also producing the format that's needed. And the workflow uh, allows you to assign people to the items so that you can get the content done efficiently, uh, you can identify bottlenecks uh, and get it from you know, start to finish efficiently. Yeah, I remember when I was first introduced to gather content, I guess, wow, a number of years ago at this point, um, by a coworker of mine who was actually a designer. And we mm -hmm. were working together on a website project and I am someone who loves to talk a big game but I'm very resistant to change in a lot of ways. Like I get very, st I'm so process oriented that it can sometimes be very difficult to get me out of it. Um, but I remember the difference between the month before I was using gather content and the month afterward was just completely night and day. Cause I, I didn't realize how much time I was losing from an administrative administration perspective. And that's everything from me asking people and chasing people down for approvals, you know, deadlines and things like that. And then just literally getting tons of phone calls and emails that were superfluous from clients asking where things were, you know, and even if I had to end up responding, well, the deadline isn't until next week. So it's still in production. You know, it, it, it was just little things like that, that I never really realized um, ate up my day. But here's the thing that I have learned very quickly with gather content because we not only use them for website projects, we also use them to manage the ongoing creation and production and approval of marketing and editorial content. So like blogs, long form, pillar strategies, things like that. Um, is that it reminds me a lot of HubSpot in a way that sometimes people can mistake technology as a substitution for understanding either your strategies or your best practices or developing your processes. Because gather content is a great way to implement and execute a, a content production pipeline and manage it. Um, but it's not, unless you have certain best practices already in place, it, it can also fall apart a little bit, which is what specifically we're gonna be talking about today. Because one of the biggest problems that I've encountered not only with myself when I was first getting started and trying to figure out like, what does a content process look like that's sustainable, that we can scale, that isn't gonna make me pull my hair out at three o'clock in the morning because I'm getting 18,000 emails, is the idea of not writing the content, but just physically getting the people involved that need to be involved, getting that workflow in place around who's writing it, who's editing it, who's approving it, and when. Because that sounds straightforward enough, but in my experience, that's where content projects die. It's like 100%. death by committee. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, even the uh, even the most simple of workflows uh, can be complicated because anything where there's people involved uh, means that there's often perhaps cultural changes involved and there's politics involved and there's different priorities involved. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and there was so much of what you said there about gather content, you know, you summed up perfectly. It, it, um, you know, a lot of stuff does have to be defined 
before you can use gather content. You know, that's why we say it's in between the kind of content strategy and the CMS. Uh, it kind of bridges that gap and that void between those two things. Um, it's not a silver bullet. You know, if we don't, you know, there's still a lot you need to do. You need to have you know, the people in place and so on, and then gather content facilitates that workflow that you've already defined um, and can help you. And it facilitates effective collaboration as well. You know, you mentioned all the emails and you know. Uh, like Word docs and things, they weren't created for web content creation, you know, so, you know, like version 2.3 dot, 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 final dot, you know, whatever, those things are confusing and gather content brings it all into one place. But core to that is the workflow, which is the people, the process and the individual tasks that need to be done at each step of the way as well. Yeah. And, and to be clear, the conversation that we're going to have right now really you know, obviously I'm, I'm a big fan of your platform, but this is a conversation that I think every content manager, marketer, or marketing team needs to have and understand, regardless as to whether you're still living in the stone ages doing this stuff via Word doc, or if you're doing it with Google Docs, or you have some other internal platform that you're using to share and collaborate on documents. The reality is, is that I, I want to start by having the conversation of, when we think about these workflows, what in your experience are the top things that people get wrong? Like the well-meaning mistakes or the most common ways that you see content workflow problems manifest themselves? Uh, the first one is that they just don't have one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, it's just, you know, uh, I think it's, it's, it's sort of, a lot of work needs to go into the defining um, a valuable workflow. You know, it, it's not just, it takes time, but the more you put in up front, the smoother things will follow after that. So I think it can often seem like a distraction or an unnecessary requirement. You, you just want to get to the, to the content creation and the writing and the designs, and you just want to get to those stages, especially if you've got clients nipping at your heels, wanting to see the, see the, you know, the pretty things and the nice things. Um, so I think it can be like, oh, we'll just figure out the content as we go along. You know, there's already, or so-and-so can do it, or the client will deliver it, or we'll get to that type thing. Um, and just not really thinking about actually how are we going to get the content delivered, you know? And I think if you've got existing content, even more so then you can fall into the trap of like, well, we've already got content here, so we don't need to go to this big thing about you know what are the stages and who are the people involved at the stages and what do they have to do at each stage and you know how do we visualize the workflow and disseminate the workflow, which I'm sure are all things we'll come back to in this conversation. So I think just not really understanding why you need one and the importance of one is a very common pitfall. And that's not, you know, that's, that's not um, to point fingers or blame people. You know, it's just, um, it's, it's often hard to change the way that you work. And if you've not got a defined workflow and you're up against the pressure of, uh, you know, time skills and deadlines and getting projects launched and small budgets and, you know, shrinking resource, um, then you just want to get on with things sometimes and you kind of don't, um, you don't invest in things like defining a workflow. So I think that's, one of the common things. Um, another is really just creating a, a workflow or defining one in isolation, um, because obviously a workflow, as we've already said several times, in, you know, in the short time we've been chatting today, a workflow involves people. Um, and so the best thing you can do if you want those people to understand where they fit in that workflow and why it's important and, and, and how the stages were developed and, you know, um, what stage precedes which one and why, then you need to bring people into the process of creating that workflow. And I think by doing so, you'll get um, a higher chance of engagement when it comes to actually, you know, um, 
executing the workflow, you know, making it, you know, the way that people work as well. Um, so they're two key things really. And also just being, being honest and true to the stages that you need. So there's no need to kind of skip, skip stages to be concise because that will cause issues later on. Whoops, we didn't involve legal, you know, what's going to happen now? Uh, and similarly, don't add in stages to try and, you know, to try and um, be detailed and feel like, oh, we've got this really complex workflow. It just needs to be true to the process that you've got, the people that you've got, um, and, the, and the stages that you need to get your content delivered, really. Yeah, I remember the the worst the worst thing that has ever happened to me that is always a signifier that I did not a good do a good job of building out my content workflow is if I go at a certain point in the approval process and say like, hey, it's final sign off, and this person picks it up and they say to me, why am I just seeing this? Yeah, like that is just the kiss of death. Because it doesn't matter how much work I've put into it. It doesn't matter how great the final output might be. That means I didn't involve the right people at the right point in the process. But I do like what you brought up there, which I think is a critical thing to keep in mind, is that there's a tendency to either, on one extreme, you have no workflow, right? So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But I like what you brought up about the bloated workflow where we start having like the too many cooks in a kitchen or my favorite terrible joke. What's a camel a horse designed by committee, you know, like you have one, tell me a little bit about that. Like what are some of the signs and symptoms that you've got too many people cluttered up in your workflow? Yeah. I mean, it's a tricky one because in some cases, there are genuinely lots of people that need to be involved. I think higher ed is perhaps a good example of that, where you've got the academics and you might have marketing and legal. And, you know, there's lo there's lo there can be lots of people there, lots of stakeholders, lots of subject matter experts. And I think when you map that out and you see all these people in stages, it might, it might seem um, over the top and bloated. That was a great word that you used to kind of describe um, workflows in, in this context. Um, so, again, as long as it's true to, to your situation, then that's the main thing. But I think it's, um, I mean, there is a risk of too many cooks. Um, and there's also a risk of, if you don't include people, then feeling excluded. And again, it comes back to the kind of politics thing and, you know, and, and um, people, sometimes they don't care enough about content. Sometimes they might care too much, you know, and workflow can kind of bring both of those sides out of people, I think. Um, so I'm not really, sh I think the telltale signs probably vary between um, organization and, and the person involved in defining that workflow. Um, and I think that's why it's important to involve people in defining it. So rather than just going away and working in isolation to like define all these stages and who's involved. If you get people into the room, I think that's when you can actually avoid a bloated workflow from the get-go because you know it may be that they, through the discussion and through the collaboration and thinking about the stages and and, uh, and how the work will get done and the content will get produced. I think that's when you can start making collaborative decisions um, about, well, actually, we don't need that stage. We do need this stage. Well, maybe those stages can combine, or maybe that person can actually cover these two things. Um, and I think that's the best way that you can really avoid that um, situation. But if you do end up with a bloated workflow, I think the telltale signs that you've got one will just be that you're still not getting the content done. You know, it's still not actually published. Uh, and is that because there are too many bottlenecks, too many people involved? People aren't clear on what they, they need to do at each stage, which is something I'd like to come back to as well. But it's, uh, I think that 
just the very fact that the content isn't approved and published. There's clearly a reason for that. Um, and that might be that, yeah, it's too complex, too many people involved. It's just not clear. Um, and, and then there's no real answer to that other than trying to identify what those blocks are and then trying to unblock them and, and I'll see whether that's refined in the workflow or it might reveal bigger insights such as, you know what, we actually need someone else, we need more resource, we need this, we need that. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's just one of those things that often um, it's learning through doing, I think. Yeah, um, I really like also what you said there about about the fact that the content never gets done. But one point I would also like to throw in there is that ha it, and it ties back to your other point about building your content workflow in isolation. I've noticed the better job I do of making sure I'm talking to the right people to get my get my input and also more importantly my sign off as the project manager on what a content flow looks like will mitigate the number of times people will say things like, oh, you know what, you should also involve so-and-so and get their eyes on this. Um, it'll minimize the number of times that I hear that, or I'll have the ability to go back and say, you know what, actually, I spoke with so-and-so, we, we determined X, Y, and Z, and this is why we're kind of keeping this group a little smaller, or we have them at a different part in the process. Because I think what will happen is that people have a, have a very kind of simplified view of what a content workflow can and should look like. Mm -hmm. Like what they think actually needs to happen is like somebody writes a draft, you send this draft out to a bunch of people and then all of those people send their comments back. And I found one of the things that helps kind of control that is to kind of create tiers. Like I'll have an initial review of content. And maybe that's based on somebody's subject matter expertise area or something like that. And then I usually have only one point of final approval. Having mm -hmm. multiple people in that final approval stage just turns everything into a nightmare. Because if one person approves it and then another person doesn't approve it, what the heck am I supposed to do? No, I mean, this is where it's tricky because, um, you know, if, if you've got several, there might be several feedback loops happening at the same time, or if it's more linear and it does go to marketing and then um, legal and then finance, perhaps the feedback from legal influences something that their marketing need to change. So you then need to go back to that step rather than just go forward to finance. And that's why, you know, it is complicated, even if there's only a few stages. I mean, typical stages of a workflow might be outline, write, review, edit, approve, publish and then govern. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, six or seven stages there. But even within that short workflow, you know, there could be dozens of people involved. And it, it really is, you know, it is, it's so important, but it's so potentially complicated as well. Um, but the, you know, you just have to set yourself up for the best possible success. And so by having, you know, just even thinking about the stages of the workflow is, you know, a big step forward. But I think the key things then are, how you define the workflow, you know, collaboratively, but also how you communicate that workflow to those involved. There's nothing worse than just getting a random email from someone saying, can you review this? Um, and you don't know, you know, what you're reviewing and where you are in the workflow. So I think it's important to think about, you know, let people know, right, this is the stage you're at in the workflow. By the time the content's got to you, it will have been to this, 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 and this stage. And after you, it's going to this, this, and this stage. So they've got the context of, you know, uh, I suppose the life cycle of that content and, and how it reached them and where it's going next. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a best practice there might be, you know, you don't only just talk to the right people to create the workflow. 
you then probably should give people a heads up before everything gets started that, hey, by the way, this is the hierarchy overview or the workflow or whomever. If you have any questions or concerns, please let me know before things get underway, but this is what you can expect. And, and I think that expectation setting you were just talking about, what are some of the things that you would recommend people who are managing these types of com uh, content projects tell mm -hmm. their collaborators, whether that's, you know, your editors, your final approvers, whatever, what types of responsibilities and messaging should they be giving to those people in advance? Well, the, I mean, the first thing to, to kind of reiterate from what you just said there is that someone needs to be responsible. I think that's key. So even if there's three dozen people in the workflow, however many people, somebody needs to be responsible for overseeing the overall initiation, management and communication of that workflow. Uh, often it's the content strategist, you know, uh, but not always, but there has to be someone there. Um, and that's important because, again, you know, it, it quickly gets you to a bottleneck if there's not somebody there checking uh, because, you know, Judith hasn't reviewed something. It doesn't mean that Judith doesn't care, but it might be that Judith is distracted or what she needs to review is like 10th on her to-do list. Um, so having someone to, you know, have that overview allows them to kind of check in with Judith and, you know, and other people in the workflow. Um, and so I think that's the first and foremost, have someone responsible. And it's not just someone to create it. It's, you know, someone to kind of see it through, I suppose. Um, because if content isn't part of someone's job, it will get pushed down a list of priorities and, you know, having someone overseeing that workflow, um, you know, is key. Um, but I think communicating the progress as well. So think about how you're going to notify those involved. The content has moved from one stage to the next, uh, you know, and gather content, you'll get notified. Uh, but if you're not using that, there needs to be a way of, you know, communicating this so that everyone understands where the content is. Um, and I think, Documenting the workflow is probably a good idea as well. Um, this will give you, I guess, a vision of when and how the content will get done and by whom. So you can visualize the workflow. Um, it depends really on, on the people involved. Some people just maybe a phone call will work, some people an email, some people want to see it visualized. But I think you really need to think about how you disseminate that workflow to the people involved. And it might not be the same method of dissemination works for all. So I think you need to think about that as well um but one of the i think one of the best things you can do as a person responsible for overseeing the workflow um is giving clear instructions at each stage so it's not just you're responsible for the review stage and you're responsible for the edit stage and you're responsible for approval uh, and whatever the other stages may be like what is that person reviewing you know, again, there's nothing, I think I mentioned earlier, there's nothing worse than just being, getting an email out of the blue, can you review this please? Well, what am I reviewing? Am I reviewing the voice and tone? Am I reviewing spelling, grammar, punctuation? Am I reviewing if it's factually correct? You know, there's so many things that they could be reviewing. And the same with, ed what am I editing? You know, am I editing the whole thing? Is it just a bit you need editing? Um, do I just need to top and tail it? So I think giving clear instructions, um, detailed instructions at each stage of the workflow as well, because you just need to help people, help, you know, make their job as easy as possible. Um, and in turn, that should make your job easier too. So let's say I'm Molly content manager. And so I followed all of our delightful wisdom and amazingness uh, up to this point. Um, so I've talked to the right people. I've gotten my workflow documented. It's been disseminated. And I am now either building out my workflow using the custom workflow building tool and gather content, or it's just living somewhere and I'm going to be managing it directly. Mm -hmm. So I've done all of the work 
to as much as I can to make sure I'm positioning myself to have this workflow not fail. But obviously, best laid plans can sometimes get completely blown to smithereens. Mm-hmm. What are some of the most common challenges that you've seen with the management of a healthy and well put together content workflow? And how do you mitigate those or address them? There's always going to be the challenge of um, getting people to do stuff, right? You know, people are busy. Like I say, those involved in a workflow, th- what they need to do might not be part of their core job. Um, you know, if they're an academic and they're teaching, they may not want to have to write content or edit content or review content. Um, or if they do want to, it may be that it's not the, the key thing they need to get done that day. So I think there's always going to be that challenge of getting things done. And I think if you can accept that, then that's, you know, in itself, that's going to make things a bit better. You know, it's not... It would be rare for you to define this workflow, I think, and then it's just going to go from stage to stage to stage with no resistance, no, um, no issues, no challenges, no bottlenecks, because I just don't think that's an accurate portrayal of um, a group of people working together on one thing when there's lots of other things that they also need to work on individually. Um, so I think that always is going to be a challenge to get it done. And there is only so much you can do to try and mitigate that. So, you know, defining the workflow, communicating it, um, define uh, sorry, define it collaboratively, communicating it effectively, and then overseeing it. In some ways, that's as much as you can do. Um, but again, by the very definition of having a workflow, should not, things not be moving and not being get done, you should be able to figure out who and why. And again, it's not a blame game, but going to that person and saying, "Well, why isn't this happening? You know, have you not had time?" If you don't have that workflow and you're not really sure where the content is and who it's with and what's next then how can you begin to um, isolate the incident or the, or the situation that's stopping that content from moving forward? So just by having a workroom place, it would hopefully, not going to erase all the challenges, but will hope, hopefully help you identify the challenges and resolve them uh, more efficiently, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, one of the ways that, one of the demons I needed to make peace with as the self-professed control freak is the fact that when you introduce, the more people you introduce into an equation, (laughs) uh, the more likely, you know, that things will go wrong. Things will take longer than you expected. And there are two things that I've at least done that tie into what you were talking about that have always helped me. First of all, when I'm doing that expectation setting at the beginning, I generally try to include some sort of SLA for that particular workflow stage. And by SLA, I mean service level agreement, meaning we want someone to have five business days to review and get their edits back. And that could be for a final approval, that could be for just editorial review or whatever, but setting some sort of time bound baseline or benchmark of what your expectation is. Because if you don't set an expectation early on around how something, how long something should take, you know, you can't, I can't be Molly content manager going to you, Rob, and saying, Hey, where's my stuff? Oh, I didn't realize I was behind. Well, I had expected it earlier than such and such. And then it creates an opportunity for you to have to manage individual people's schedules. But if you have that expectation setting built in at the front saying, you know, hey, uh, Rob, Ben, Kathleen, whomever, you are all in this group of editorial review. 
I have this set for five business days. Does this seem realistic to you based on what we're saying you're going to be getting and when? And so that way you kind of had that off. But I think the other thing to just keep in mind is that things, those things are going to happen. You know, you can, as, as the project manager who's overseeing the workflow and the project, you have to be able to crack the whip, but you can't be a butthead about it because otherwise people are just going to avoid you. So there's a bit of relationship management there, a bit of working with people. So making sure that you have a timeline that has some give to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think defining the workflow as early on in the project is key as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you say, you're going into the doing stage of the project with hopefully expectations managed um, and, uh, you know, everybody involved have an understanding of, of what the workflow is and where they fit into that. Um, but also, you know, I guess if we're talking about a workflow in terms of getting a piece of content, then it's normally that's part of a much bigger project and ecosystem. Uh, so there's, there's lots of other things that are going to be happening, you know, the design, the development, you know, and all, all that stuff as well that could have an impact on things. So there's, there's lots there that um, could potentially derail the workflow or delay the workflow. And also you may be restricted by, um, you know, and you mentioned, mentioned timelines there, you may be restricted by a project timeline that's already defined. So you may have to map your workflow stages to that existing timeline. You know, so if you've only got three months, um, you know, you have to figure out, all right, I've got three months, I've got all these stages. How is that going to map? How am I going to get these stages done in three months? What time can I allocate to which stage? Um, and, you know, I, I, I expect that there will be some people who would want more time than you're able to give. And it may be, though, you know, let's, let's not just think all about the doom and gloom. It may be that something's done sooner than you, you, you're planning for, you know, so you can get to the next stage a bit sooner. And then you've kind of got a little bit of a, um, a buffer of time there, which is um, a lovely position to be in. But I think that's, um, yeah, you know, defining early and mapping to a project timeline is definitely... Um, is definitely uh, uh, is key there for sure. I think the other thing too is, um, you know, sometimes I, and I've had this happen before. Oh, we're not going to need to involve legal four weeks into a project. Oh, Hey, we're going to have to involve legal. (laughs) Like that's another thing where like, when I think about, (laughs) when I think about about my own question here a little bit and what breaks workflows, it's just the unexpected, the Mm -hmm. unexpected and, and the people factor. Um, and you just kind of have to go with the flow on that. Like if legal needs to be involved, then you need to squeeze it in, communicate it out, talk to the person that you're reporting to, to let them know whether or not this is going to impact your timeline and just move on with your life. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the other thing is, you know, I, before Gather Content, um, I was agency side. Um, and, you know, and even at Gather Content, because like yourself, we use, um, you know, we use the product for all sorts of different um, content, web content, marketing content, um, and so on. And so with that comes different workflows. You know, there's not one workflow to suit all. So, you know, it might be that the, some people are involved in seven different workflows if they're involved across multiple projects, or one person is overseeing several different workflows and so on. So there, there's just so many... Um, components and facets to, to this but ultimately i do believe that having a workflow um will result in fewer challenges perhaps less bottlenecks um not as many delays um but again it's not um uh you know it, it's by no means a silver bullet it's just a way of trying to keep things on track and get content delivered on time and, and within budget so what are the things that people should never do when it comes to content workflows, no matter how big or small? Um, not 
have one. Don't not have one. Um, <laughs> double negative. Um, I, again, we've mentioned it before, but I, I think don't create it in isolation because I think you'll, it'll be harder to get people on board and get um, engagement and buy-in from those involved in the workflow. So whether or not that's doing um, a workshop in person, it might be you have one workshop to define the workflow, another workshop to kind of disseminate it and, and, you know, and discuss it afterwards. But I think, you know, involve the people that uh, need to be included in the workflow as much as you can. I mean, this, you know, this, again, this is best practice, but this sort of thing gets tricky if you're a remote team, for example, or, or you know, you're a much, much bigger team spread far and wide and you can't physically get everyone into the same room, but where possible, involve people in the process so that they understand. Um, what, I mean, going right back to the beginning, they understand why you need a workflow in the, in the first place, you know? Um, and be true to um, you know be true to your process again. Don't skip stages, but don't add in unnecessary ones for the sake of it. Um, and I think don't use um, language that isn't going to resonate with people in the workflow uh, in terms of the language for each stage. So I think if you can use language that people are used to, then it's just going to make more sense to them. So for example, um, to give an example of that. Uh, is somebody is one stage of your workflow like writing, creating, or producing? Is it finalizing, signing off, or approving? And it's small changes in the sort of semantics there which can really, um, I think, make a difference. Um, so people kind of get get it a bit more um, because if that's you know if you've got a kind of internal vocabulary or a vocabulary with your clients, uh, I think it's important to try and use that where you can. I'll be honest, <laughs> but I am very literal with my workflow stages. And, you know, again, if you're familiar with gather content, you'll know that they have a custom workflow tool where you can literally name them whatever you want, have as many stages as you want. Um, but those principles hold true whether or not you're documenting it and gather content on a project or in a Google document or a Word document. And sure. so I literally have stages, for example, where Kathleen, who's our VP of marketing, who I report to is kind of like my primary final like approval overlord um, for my projects. I, the last section before it gets shipped to design and development literally says Kathleen approved. Mm. Like that's the name of the stage. It is yep. just Kathleen approved or needs more edits. Like I got, and sometimes when I'm managing projects, when it has like a lot of little different stages where it's not necessarily, because I think it's easy to just make workflow stages based on, oh, well, this person's going to write it, then this person's going to edit it, and then this person's going to approve it. I've found that putting in some interim stages, especially if you're using, using a very visual um, workflow tool that people can see, where they can see where things are at a high level, I liked having things in there like first draft ready for editorial review, editorial review, and then, um, you know, second revisions, you know, having those built in because what I do like about that is by having the diff having your draft and revision stages delineated controls how many revision cycles you have. So like I can say to someone, by the way, we're only going to go through one round of revisions, but if I don't have one designated spot for them, I can end up going ping ponging back and forth with them forever until it's quote just right. <laughs> so, yeah, but I like your point about how you name those, you know, just like be very direct. So people aren't confused. Like they shouldn't have to ask. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I mean, it's really up to the, you know, an individual cases to how granular you go, but you know, oh, yeah. 
thinking about the kind of the review stage, that in itself is quite big. So even if there's only one person reviewing, you may need to break that down to like, right, review four, spelling and grammar, review mm-hmm. four, you know, um, mm-hmm. accuracy and facts and fact checking and so on. So you may even want to break that down so that the person reads it once to review for that first lot and then the second lot, et cetera. Um, you know, it may be that you need to add in stages instead of just writing. It might be, you know, uh, you add in a stage for, SEO and metadata, you, need, you, need, you want that brought into it and, you know, at, at an earlier point. It, it, there's so many um, different things that can and cannot be included. So, um, yeah, but like you say, as long as it makes sense to the people involved, whether that's through the language you use um, or through how you communicate, you know, what the workflow is and where they fit into it, then um, that's going to be key. Because like you say, the minute somebody doesn't know, you know, if they don't have time to ask or just don't want to ask, there you go, you're at a bottleneck again. Um, and that, that's not their fault by any means. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, write, be as detailed as you need to add as many stages. If it means, you know, even if you add in three more stages, it may actually mean that the workflow, um, it gets to the workflow quicker. So you've got more stages, but it might be more efficient because it makes more sense to people. So I think the number of stages doesn't necessarily mean, uh, I don't think the more stages means the, more, the longer it's going to take. Uh, it's just a way of, defining what works best for, you know, for your team to get the content done. Oh yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons I started adding in those granular stages uh, was really when I started using gather content, because the beauty of the tool is the fact that somebody goes to their dashboard screen, it has the color coded workflow and it tells you exactly how many entries or items or pages are in particular stages. And I found when I was working with some of our clients, you know, you could very easily not create a revision cycle workflow stage and leave something in editorial review while you're working through it. But it was difficult when I was working with remote clients who are almost always remote, we're very rarely in the same place, where mm-hmm. I would literally give them the link because the URL doesn't change to see all of the pages in a particular workflow stage. They would be confused of, wait, which ones are you working on versus which ones are the ones I still need to review? And yes. so that that's where you start really need to, that's where you start needing to figure out, like depending on where your workflow is living, how it's being documented, and how you're keeping track of which things are in which pile, that's where you start figuring out like which workflow stage is something that's tied to a person and which workflow stage is tied to a section of the process. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I love that is because, you know, whether you're looking at that dashboard overview in Gather Content or you're just looking at whatever spreadsheet you're using to track it, you know, you can see very quickly where the bottlenecks are. Like, let's say we have a client who's doing ongoing blogging content. So they're constantly producing content. And I have a boss come to me, like either it's like a client services director, or maybe it's a principal strategist saying, hey, I've noticed such and such client hasn't had a lot of content going up recently. What's going on? You should be able to pull that up and see immediately, well, we actually don't have anything in drafting right now. If we take a look, everything's an editorial review or vice versa. You have clients say, everything's in drafting. I still haven't seen anything yet. So it creates a level of quite frankly, transparency, but also accountability in who's doing what and where things are falling apart. Yeah. And that's so important because we've talked a lot about, you know, the people involved in the workflow, you know, the people who are doing the tasks at each stage. Um, but you're absolutely right to kind of think beyond that, you know. So by having a workflow and knowing what stage each piece of content is at, if, you know, the key stakeholder comes to you and is like, well, where are we at? And you're able to very quickly say, 
right, well, the content for this particular website redesign project, 40% is approved, 30%, this is where I'm, I said at the start, I'm very good with numbers, 40% is approved, 30% is uh, uh, being edited, uh, and 30% is, um, you know, in draft. So, you know, you, you know, you get a good sense of, is that out of 240, 30, 30? Um, <laughs> so you get a good sense of um, how much work is left to do and how much is done, um, you know, and I think that's really important too. And without a workflow, um, and those stages, you won't have that. If someone comes to you and says, right, you know, just want a really quick update on, on the content, where are we at? And then you suddenly have to start digging around in all of your emails or, you know, going through all these different um, Word docs and folders and files, trying to figure out what's draft, what's approved, what exists, what doesn't. Um, you know, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's, it's not a fun job to have to do and to not be able to give somebody the answer that they want. And I think by having a workflow, again, you know, regardless of where you create that workflow, just by having a workflow um, in, any, um, in any sense will allow you to be able to um, understand the content landscape for a particular project or a particular client, whatever that may be, uh, and then report on that as needed. Great. Okay, so one little last question before we start talking about all of the fun stuff you and I have coming up on the horizon. Okay. Um, uh, so let's say I'm this Molly content manager and I'm thinking, you know, Rob, Liz, you guys obviously top marks in terms of intelligence, you know what you're talking about, you know what you're doing, but this all sounds very wonky and quite frankly, a little overwhelming. What mm -hmm. are like the three things I need to do? Like what's my three step basic process to make this happen, to make this a content workflow that doesn't explode my projects? Um, well, I guess... I mean, for me, I always think of it in three stages, I suppose, or like three, element, three elements of a workflow, and that's roles, tasks, and process. So I think if you can break it down to that, so that's looking at the people involved, um, the stages involved, and the individual tasks involved. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if you're, you know, you're listening to this and you think, well, you know what? we don't really have a workflow, we don't have any workflow, or, you know, I'd like to improve our workflow, then perhaps you can use an existing project, not necessarily implement on a project, but use an existing project and think of it in, in those three um, elements, the roles, who is involved in this project, the task, what is each, what is each um, person doing uh, and the process, how does that fit together? So in what order do those, those, those tasks happen in order to get content done? Um, and I think that's the best way you can kind of um, think about your workflow so this isn't you know we're not getting into the details of how you're going to communicate it and and visualize it and manage it and and, and all those things that we've kind of talked about in the, in this chat but just thinking break it down uh roles tasks and process and think of it in those ways um then hopefully that'll help you start to kind of uh define your own you know yeah and the way i always distill it down is you know first of all create one and then you communicate it and then you put it into practice with an agile mindset. Like those are yeah. kind of the three ways that I approach it. Yeah, and it could be, you know, you might, you might define one at the start of a project in a discovery phase or whatever that may be. And do you know what, when you're, when you're partway through the, the, the project, maybe you do need to add in a stage or remove a stage or change a stage. And that's fine because, mm -hmm. again, without having that initial workflow in the beginning, you wouldn't necessarily know that. And, it, you know, you may have hit that wall and not actually be able to overcome it. Um, so just having that workflow defined, again, will allow you to kind of identify um, those challenges and be able to um, overcome them, hopefully. 
Yeah. Uh, and my, my last parting uh, word on this particular topic before we put it to bed is um, I don't care how many approvers or reviewers you need to have in your process. I said this before, but I'm going to say it again. One final approver. Yeah. One person who signs off and says, this is done. 100%. That is like, I, I have learned that lesson the hard way. It took me like two or three times to learn it. I don't know why I'm thick headed. I just have problems, but one final approver. Yeah. One. Absolutely. So what I am really excited about, and I just finished reading it myself is if people are interested in learning more about content workflows or just quite frankly, content strategies, gather content, just put out a book about this, right? Uh, our content delivery book. Yeah. yeah. Um, and workflow. Yeah. Workflow is a part of that. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, super exciting. So it's called content delivery and, uh, it's about delivering high quality website content on time and in budget, uh, written by Liam, who, uh, Liam King, who does our content strategy masterclass. He's written some of our previous guides. Liam, um, owns an agency in the UK. Um, and he's done a lot of stuff for us. Um, uh, incredibly experienced and knowledgeable about um, assembling content teams, prioritizing content, defining workflows, and so on. Um, and so the book that he um, wrote for us uh, pretty much covers all of that. It covers getting ready to deliver content, assembling a team, defining a content delivery workflow, prioritizing uh, content, optimizing your workflow as well. Um, so lots of examples and practical advice, uh, some of which we've kind of covered in this chat as well. And then, you know, there's a bit more detail. Um, in, uh, Liam in the book uncovers um, the individual steps to run in a workshop, for example, to define a workflow with your team. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. That's uh, one of the core topics within that book. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. And uh, how could people get that book? Uh, so it's free to read online or to... Um, to download the uh, Kindle and EPUB and PDF versions. Uh, and it's at gathercontent.com forward slash books forward slash content hyphen delivery. Um, yeah, so that's where that's at. Cool. And then you and I are going to be hanging out. Let's see, I'm thinking about when this is actually going to be going live. You and I are going to be hanging out next week. Is it you that I'm hanging out with? It absolutely is. Yep. Yes. So, uh, Liz is, uh, so you're kindly going to be one of our community webinar presenters, which we're very excited about. So thank you. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be happening next week. And I believe you're going to be um, uh, presenting about building an agency content framework that clients yeah. will learn. Uh, and it sounds like that's going to be pretty um, uh, jam-packed with practical advice. So I'm looking forward to that. And I know it's Yeah, I'm really excited about it too. So it's, it's about creating that sustainable, scalable content framework for agencies. Although I think even if you don't work at an agency and you're just interested in seeing like, what is a content framework that's sustainable and scalable look like, especially mm -hmm. if you have a small marketing team, this could be really valuable for you too. Um, and I, I think what I'm really excited about for this is that I never thought this is something, you know, five years ago, if you told me I was going to be speaking on this topic, I would just would have laughed at you because I was a single content manager by myself at the tiniest agency and now I'm at a big agency and I've seen the small, the big, the in-between. Mm -hmm. And it is, I think it's always been very frustrating for me. Like I've been to conferences, I've been to talks, like, and people always say, this is the framework you need to have. And I'm like, on what planet and with what budget? So I'm really excited to just talk about, you know, how do you do this realistically? How do you create an agile framework that works for the little agency, for the mid agency, for the big agency, for the one that grows with you when you're small to mid to big. So 
July 19th, and I'm going to be honest, I am on Eastern Standard Time. What time is it actually at? It's on my calendar. I promise I will be there. <laughs> well, it's going to be 4 p.m. UK time, so I'm not sure what that is for you. Well, either way, I'll make five sure. Five hours behind? Five hours. Yeah, we're five hours behind. I'll make sure that a link to it is in the show notes. A link to the book is also in the show notes for this episode. Thank you. Um, if you are a Content Lab subscriber, this will also be in the newsletter. But um, Rob, if anybody wants to get in touch with you and they have any other questions, how can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Robert Mills. Um, and my email, I'm happy, almost happy to have emails, is rob at gathercontent.com. Uh, I think that's probably one of those two methods is probably the best way. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. And I'll, I guess I'll see you next week. Yeah. Looking forward <laughs> to it. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Of course. Looking back on my conversation with Rob, obviously there's a lot of really great stuff and great advice in there, but there's one thing that he said that has stuck in my brain ever since he said it. And that's how one of the most common mistakes people make with their workflows is that they try to oversimplify it so their workflow gives the appearance of being more concise and streamlined to their team before the project even begins. And that brings me to this week's one thing because I don't think that habit is really specific to just workflows. Cutting corners is really tempting when it comes to content creation because there is a lot of work involved. You know, you need to figure out your strategy and you need to figure out the keywords and you need to figure out who the right people are supposed to be involved in the process and what form is it going to take and what's the strategy for it and how long should it be and what's the format and blah, 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 blah. Like there's so much work that goes into it before you even sit down and bother writing anything. So it's so... It's so easy to think, oh, I'll just shave off a little here, carve off a little there out of my process, whether that's, you know, not doing as much research as you should or not outlining a blog post before you write a draft or maybe you skip that little extra subject matter expert interview because you've totally got everything you need, right? Or maybe, maybe you're avoiding involving that one key stakeholder too early on in the process since they have a tendency to come in and hate everything and basically, you know, flip the table over on your project. Uh, so let them just take a look at stuff later when it's already done. Or maybe this is one of the things that I've been definitely guilty of quite a bit is not reading through your work that one last time to make sure you didn't make any glaring errors because if they were so glaring, you would have already caught them, right? What's the worst that could happen? I totally get it. Uh, you know, Content creation has a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So it feels like homework. So that's why my one thing to you this week is that as, as tempting as it may be to skip steps, to make your process look clean and streamlined and concise and blah, blah, blah. And honestly, just save yourself a lot of time and creating content. Do not do it. Because it doesn't matter if we're talking about content workflows or, or something else. Whatever time you may save with that shortcut now, you're probably going to have to make up later when you end up having to go back and redo the work you didn't do the first time, whether that's involving that key stakeholder early on so you get the right strategy in place or doing that last read through or having to go back and talk to that one person you avoided talking to before. 
Or worse, you may not even realize something's wrong until someone points it out to you. You know, that obvious error you should have totally already caught after you've hit publish. So trust me, I've learned this lesson the hard way more times than I'd care to admit. So when it comes to content, follow the right process the first time, no matter what that process might be. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache in the long run. And yes, in case you're wondering, this is not just you to you guys. It's also just a little reminder for me too. Anyway, with that out of, out of the way, lectures aside, the weekly awesome. So I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of biased because Ernest Hemingway is one of my favorite authors, but Hemingway app, which can be found at HemingwayApp.com, is an amazing web-based editor, uh, which you can get for free or you can download the desktop version, but it's not just any editor. Instead of skimming your work for the usual spelling and grammatical errors, it actually measures the complexity and the readability of your writing. You know, it tells you the grade level of your writing. It highlights overly complex sentences and so you can break them down. And one of my favorite things that it does is it also highlights the use of passive voice and when you use too many adverbs, which are two of the most common ways to diminish the strength of your writing. So... After you write that draft, you've had a few people look at it, go to HemingwayApp.com and start making your content better right now. This is a really easy and quick and free way to take your writing from good to great today. Well, we've come to the end of yet another episode. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to Content Lab on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your podcast uh, player of choice. You can connect with Content Lab at Content Lab Pod on Twitter and Instagram. That'll put you in touch with me directly. Or if you want to get to know me on the internet on a more personal way, you can find me at Naptown Pint pretty much everywhere on the internet. Also, don't forget to leave a review. Not only do I love the validation, it also makes sure that people can find this podcast, which is really important since it's so new. Uh, With that, okay, wow, yeah. Until next week, please join me when I will be talking with Laura Belgray of Talking Shrimp. Until then. Bye.